Hi, my name is Michael Sano. I'm Jewish and I love Israel. So if you love Israel, if you love being Jewish, or if you have an unwavering connection to the land of Israel, then you're in the right place. Welcome to the 12 Cities in Israel podcast. Shalom, shalom, shalom. Hey, what's going on? What's going on? What's going on? My name is Michael Sano, and welcome, welcome, welcome to the 12 Cities in Israel podcast, the only positive podcast about the people, the food, and the culture of the state of Israel. Hey, if this is your first time listening, uh, actually, if it's your first time watching us on YouTube, hit the like button, hit the subscribe button, and the notification bell. If you'd like to take us with you, um, you can find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, and on Spotify. Uh, also, I need to uh, I need to point out that this episode is brought to you by the Twelve Cities in Israel Modern Hebrew Flashcards. Um, they're available on Amazon for Kindle, um, and I'll go more into that at the end of the episode. All right. Um, we are continuing our The 12 Cities in Israel uh, series. And that's so basically, it's I'm going back and I'm actually telling you about these 12 significant cities in Israel. And last, uh, the last two episodes were on Beersheba. And this one is on. Are you ready? Akko. Now, this. Akko is amazing. Akko is wow. Um, so I split these episodes into two parts. The first part is the history, and the second part is the modern city. Um, I have so many. I have seven pages of notes. There is not a piece of world, Western, European, Middle Eastern history that does not involve the city of Akko. And I think you guys are really going to enjoy this one. Um, let me take a sip of coffee real quick. Peter Madeira, this is for you. Got to have my, got to have my Jacob's coffee. Hold on just one sec. Oh, another sip. Hold on. <laughs> All right. Um, I'm going to be hitting that probably a couple of times because this is going to be a lot of talking. So, Akko is a city found in the coastal plain region of the northern district of Israel. It sits um, it it sits to the north of Haifa Bay, um, right on the coast of the Mediterranean, and it has been an important location due to it being seated along the region's coastal road, which goes. Honestly, historically, it goes all the way up from Damascus down to um, down to Gaza and into Egypt, um, as well as leading southeast into the fertile Jezreel Valley. Um, now, there has been continuous so settlement in Akko goes all the way back to. Are you ready for this? The Bronze Age, bum, bum, bum. It goes way, way back. And the Bronze Age 
is broken into a couple of different sections. So you have the early Bronze Age, which is about 3000 BC. There were people living there, but that was, it's hilarious. I'm going to say that's a temporary settlement. It was only a couple of decades, centuries. Um, temporary. Is that temporary? Well, in the span of historical context, yes, it's temporary. But it has been continuously settled since the Middle Bronze Age. Um, and that is around 2000 to 1550 BCE. Now, I am not going to be, I'm going to be using the academic um, reference when I talk for, when I discuss time. So it'll be BCE or CE, unless it's unnecessary. You know what I mean? Like 1600 or something like that. So <clears throat> all the way back to 2000 to 1500 BCE in the middle Bronze Age. That is way back in the sands of time. That is crazy. So then we'll move up. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to hit these kind of quick because there is a lot of history for Akko. Then we move up to the Iron Age slash Biblical era, and during this time, um, up through the Biblical era, Akko was affiliated. I didn't know this, both culturally and politically, with the Phoenicians to the east. Um, was that to the east or to the north? It was to the east, I think. And uh, Akko is included in a list of places found in the Book of Judges. What? Um, and is noted as being, as belonging to the Canaanites, as well as a place that the Israelites could not conquer. So this is going to be a recurring theme throughout Akko's history. So the Israelites couldn't conquer the Canaanites in Akko. They had fortified themselves. Now, later on, it's also mentioned as being in the territory of the tribe of Asher. And according to the chronicler Josephus, um, it was overseen by one of King Solomon's provincial governors. So... Eventually, once we get into the Tanakh, um, Akko is a part of the either full kingdom or part of Judea or the Israelite kingdom. Because remember, those two kingdoms split um, and then came together. All right, so let us move forward into the Persian area. Na, na, na. Um, the Persian Empire used Akko as a staging point and base for the 525 BCE Achaemenid campaign against Egypt. And according to contemporary historians, the Persian king Cambyses II attacked Egypt after amassing a huge army on the plains near the city of Akko. Again, another recurring theme um, that's going to come out throughout this episode. This apparently has been confirmed by archaeologists who have excavated a Persian military outpost at Tel Kison, which is a site near Akko. It's a uh, uh, previously inhabited, inhabited site like Tel Beersheba. Um, Tel Kison 
a site near Akko. These fortifications were later heavily damaged when Alexander the Great drove the Achaemenid Empire out of the region. So, all right, now we're stepping into, well, classical. We're stepping into the classical era of the Greeks and the Romans. So now we have Alexander the Great, um, who went to Akko. So if you've been to Akko, you've been in a place that Alexander the Great like came through and went, huh, how's this? Wow. All right. Let's keep moving because that's what he did. And that's what we're going to do after I take another sip of coffee. Hold on just one sec. Sorry. Okay. So we covered, what did we cover? We covered the Bronze Age, early and middle. We've covered the Iron Age and the Biblical era. And we have covered the Persians. Now, Let's move on to the Greeks, because the Greeks leave quite a footprint. Um, upon the death of Alexander the Great, we all know the story, the Macedonian generals divided his empire amongst themselves. And in the beginning, Akko um, came under the reign of the Ptolemies. Okay, the Ptolemies were out of Egypt. And this led to the city being renamed Ptolemaeus after Ptolemy II in approximately 260 BCE. So Akko is going to go through a number of changes. And one of the things that's important is another name for Akko is Acre. And we'll get to why it changes to that. But Akko's already being, its name is already being changed to Ptolemaeus. And that's one of the things that happened around Israel with the Greeks and the Romans and the Turks and the Mamelukes and all of them. So then in 200 BCE, Antiochus III conquered Akko for the Seleucids. Remember, we don't like the Seleucids. Um, who would establish themselves in Syria. So, Syria. so you had the, um, you had the Seleucids up in Syria out of Damascus. And you had the Ptolemies out of Egypt. And were they out of Alexandria? I think they might have been. Um, Akko was once again renamed to Antioch after Antiochus IV, who had established a Greek colony in the city sometime between 270 and 160 BCE. Now, it's called Antioch, but a ton of places were called Antioch. And... Um, this one that I found this out, it was de delineated by a second name. So it was called, this is so weird, Antioch Ptolemaeus. So Ptolemy called it Ptolemaeus. And now Antioch is calling it, Antiochus is calling it Antioch, but Antioch Ptolemaeus. So it gets really confusing. The Greek Saga of Akko is incredibly fluid and confusing. So, in approximately 153 BCE, Alexander Balas, who is the son of Antiochus IV, seized the city, but he did it without any opposition. They just opened the gates to him. Um, this occurred as a power struggle was being raged, waged for the Seleucid Empire. 
for the Seleucid throne between Alexander Ballas and his rival Demetrius. Now, during this time, the Maccabees were waging their war against the Seleucids, and Demetrius was doing some sneaky stuff with the Maccabees um, that eventually wound up souring. Because, you know, it's the Seleucids. What are you going to do? Um, Akko remained in the hands of the Seleucids until it was eventually captured by Alexander Janaeus um, in his campaign against the Greeks. And it remained a part of the Hasmonean kingdom all the way up until the reign of Herod the Great, who was not a Hasmonean, but was married into the Hasmonean family and had done the most amazing statesman's craft uh, statecraft in order to align himself to always come up, up on top. So he came up on top with the Romans or with the Greeks and then with the Romans. This guy had like nine lives. So now we're into Herod the Great. So now we roll into the Roman era. And under Roman Emperor Claudius, who reigned from 41 to 54 common era ce akko became a roman colony or colonia and roman control of akko would then last for the next 600 years um, during the span of time rome increased the size of the city's historic port so that it uh, basically could support the large influx of military and um and trade uh, vessels that were coming in and out of the port. Akko was a very, very huge, important port on the Eastern Mediterranean. Um, in 395 CE, things changed when uh, the Romans, with the establishment of what would become... Uh, oh, it, it changed because there was a split in the Roman Empire, and this resulted in the establishment of the Byzantine Empire, and... Uh, Akko fell under, at that point, Byzantine rule. Um, I know that I'm paraphrasing it and I'm condensing it. That I'm doing that for a very specific reason, not to cheat or cut corners, but because there is a lot of history. I don't even think I'm halfway through it yet. Um, I might be. Um, and so it went from being a Roman colony to being a Byzantine colony. But for all intents and purposes, culturally, it remained the same. So there weren't that many differences. Another sip of coffee as we move into the early Islamic era of Akko. Dun, dun, dun. Mm. Oh, it's good stuff. Mm. Best coffee ever. Um, sound effects are probably a little creepy, but whatever. Move on. Um, <laughs> um, okay, so in 638 CE, Akko came under, and I'm going to have to read these names, came under the rule of the Rashidun Caliphate, the first of the four main caliphates, um, following their success over the Byzantines at the Battle of Yarmouk to the east. So the Yarmouk is a river, um, and there was this enormous battle. And basically what happened was um, they won. They beat the Byzantines, and this allowed them to maintain control of the area. 
the Byzantines withdrew, and uh, the subsequent Arab conquest of the 7th century brought an influx of activity to Akko, and it soon became the main port of the region all the way up until the um, Umayyad and Abbasid caliphates. So that's your second and your third caliphate. Um, so that's pretty crazy. So Akko, again, everyone saw the importance of Akko. Akko was the gateway to the Levant was the gateway and one of the important things is it is also the land bridge between three major continents europe asia and africa so akko was the main port to get troops there quickly because it was the um stopgap between invading armies um during the Umayyad Caliphate, which came after the uh, the the it, it, which was the second Caliphate, Akko's fortifications were strengthened and improved due to Umayyads' regarding of the coastal towns of the Levant as being incredibly strategically important. And during this time, Persians from Muslim Syria were resettled into the city, so you had a big influx <clears throat> of Persian Muslims from uh you you're gonna see this a lot in um muslim history over these these four reigns all the way up until the ottoman empire where it's borders are not a concept um people would work in damascus and then move to um Akko and then moved to Cairo and then back and forth all over the place um it became one of the region's most important dockyards and naval bases for the Umayyad empire and continued to have strategic naval importance on through into the reign of the Abbasid empire who uh greatly increased its size and population as well. And this, of course, is where we step into the first crusader king kingdom of Jerusalem. And this was in, so this is, I said 7th century was when the Islamic era started. Um, 638 CE was when it started all the way up until 1104, um, because from 1104 to 1187 is the first crusader kingdom of Jerusalem. And following four years of continuous sieging by King Baldwin I of Jerusalem, that was his title. Um, he was from Europe, though, but he was King Baldwin I of Jerusalem. Akko eventually fell in 1104. And the Crusaders then established Akko as their main port in what was now the Kingdom of Jerusalem. This allowed them to have a foothold in the region, giving them access to both resupply and trade so that they can continue their conquest of the Holy Land. Um, and over the next 20 to 30 years, Akko's population again boomed again increased in size and became relative to the size of the crusader kingdom's capital which was jerusalem and this is a big statement because cities weren't that large in the levant back in that day 
back in that time. And for Akko to be comparable in size to Jerusalem um, is a pretty, pretty incredible civic feat. Um, by 1170, it had become one of the main ports of the Eastern Mediterranean region. And the kingdom of Jerusalem was regarded in the West as enormously wealthy due to the trade wealth of their port in Akko. Um, but that was all going to change because, um, in 1187, Akko allowed itself to be captured by the Ayyubid Sultan Saladin. Um, and after his defeat of the first crusades armies at Hattin, um, west of Tiberias. So again, east of Akko, there was another great battle um which was actually similar to the battle of yarmouk in its location and importance um, which eventually led to the muslim capture of jerusalem and basically what akko did when saladin came was they said you know what don't destroy the city come on in you already took it you already took the capital uh jerusalem of the kingdom of jerusalem so let's be cool and apparently he was. So let me just take one for now. Let me take a sip. Hold on. I'm enjoying this. I hope you're enjoying it. It's a lot of fun information. Um, and we're not done. So, uh, so the Muslims captured Jerusalem. Saladin captured Jerusalem. He captured the Holy Land back. Uh, but in 1189... Akka was again sieged by crusaders who were led by King Guy of Lusignan. Um, the siege was then counter-sieged by Saladin, who said, oh no, we ain't having that. But Akka was eventually captured in 1191 when King Richard I of England and King Philip VII of France <laughs> and their third crusade came to King Guy's aid. Um, this time, Akko, instead of Jerusalem, became the new capital of the kingdom of Jerusalem. And it was during that siege that German merchants uh, from Lübeck and Bremen founded a field hospital, one of the first, um, which would eventually become the foundation of the Teutonic Order, uh, which was a major crusader order that I think the Teutonic Order is still around. Um, and during the Sixth Crusade, because you have the kingdoms and you have the number of crusades and they don't always align. Uh, they're just basically the waves of crusaders that went to the Holy Land. So during the Sixth Crusade, the Knights Hospitaller uh, military order took control of Akko's administration and prosperity continued for the city uh, due to the fact that it was a major commercial hub of the Eastern Mediterranean. So they rebuilt that trade and again made Akko wealthy. It must also be noted that there were some difficulties during this time as all the Crusader factions um, did not necessarily get along. They all had their different goals and there were times uh, that this resulted in violence and almost... I mean, basically civil war between the factions. So um, this period, though, again, 
would come to an end. And Akko was the last major stronghold for the Crusader Kingdom and was eventually conquered in 1291 by Mamluk Sultan al-Ashraf Khalil in a violent and bloody siege. So this was horrible. They were done. They were done with the Crusaders. Um, this siege left Akko almost entirely destroyed um, to prevent future Crusader armies from returning. Now, in spite of Akko being in ruins, it still continued to be a major, major uh, trade port uh, throughout the time of the Mamluks. Uh, Mamluks. And uh, there are references, historical references, uh, by chronologers uh, who talk about the city who visit the city who say it's amazing but it's still partially in ruins and they really didn't do much to change that uh, um now in 1517 the ottoman empire took control of akko so this was now we're moving closer and closer into um we're moving closer and closer into modern history and one could even go so far as to say now that we're discussing the ottomans in akko it's modern history so in 1697 the city was still in ruins so i said in 1517 the ottomans took control but what is this almost 200 years later and the city's still in ruins and was empty with the exception of some french merchants and a mosque and what is described as a few poor cottages. So Akko, it's weird. Port cities usually maintain a large civic and administrative importance. And it seems like Akko wasn't administratively and civically important, but the port itself was. So people would come, do what they needed to do, go to the pub. Well, it's Ottoman Empire, so maybe not. Uh, get some tea and then move on. Nobody stayed in Akko too long. Um, by the 1700s, the administrations of the region changed to a method of governance called sheikdoms. And this is where it changes and became the seat of power of Zahir al-Umar, the Arab ruler of the Galilee who made Akko his capital under Zahir Akko's fortifications were rebuilt using the materials from the city's medieval crusader ruins. So he started a rebuilding project. Now, Jazar Pasha, Zahir's successor, further reinforced Akko's walls and made the city its provincial capital as well. He said, this is going to be our provincial capital also for him. So what basically what I'm saying is you had Zahir come in and say, you know what? There's no reason for this. This is a great place. Let's make it our provincial capital. And then uh, Jazar came in and said, same thing. I like it. No reason to move it. Um, under both Zahir and Jazar, large building and revitalization projects took place within Akko. And the result of this was the construction of numerous mosques, public baths, and other commercial and civil structures. And basically, these guys were, are responsible for the Akko that we see 
today, which is pretty cool. Um, now, in the spring of 1799, that little guy, Napoleon, um, assisted by Sir Sidney Smith and an expeditionary force of British sailors, um, laid siege to Akko in an attempt to foment rebellion among the Syrians against the Ottomans. I don't know exactly how that would have worked, but he, that was his thought. This siege lasted for two months until Sir Smith um, basically said, I'm done, I'm out. Don't want any more part, we're not really going anywhere. Napoleon wouldn't hear of this. And um, he was left only with his infantry and small gauge artillery. Uh, he attacked Akko on the, and this is kind of hilarious. He attacked on the 20th of March, 1799, um, but he was repulsed by Ottoman forces um, and left the following day. So <laughs> I, Napoleon, come on, man. You gotta, everyone else has got to go to Akko, so I guess he had to go too, right? Um, following this battle, Akko remained relatively calm until 1831 when Ibrahim Pasha of Egypt, in his uprising and subsequent campaign against the Ottomans, because he wanted um, Egyptian, he wanted an Egyptian kingdom separate from the Ottoman Empire. I'm paraphrasing, but basically that's what he wanted. He attacked and conquered the city, leaving it again in ruins. <sighs> Everyone, nobody likes Zako. Everyone loves Zako, but has a problem with it and needs to destroy it. Um, now again... Akko was besieged in November of 1840 by the British, the Austrians, and the French during what was called the Oriental Crisis of 1840, which occurred during the Egyptian-Ottoman War of 1839 to 1841. Following this war, Akko was then restored to Ottoman, Ottoman sovereignty, um, and it was rebuilt all of the structures that were destroyed were rebuilt. So, as I said, Ottoman, the Ottoman Akko, Akko today is, is the Akko of the Ottoman Empire that was built by the Ottomans. So, um, there's remnants of the Crusaders, there's remnants of all kinds of things, but the structures itself date basically to the Ottoman Empire. Um... Now, after this, we had relative calm in Akko, and Akko started moving towards the future. And part of this was becoming connected to the Hejaz Railway, which is really kind of cool. And that train runs ran from Damascus in Syria to Medina in Saudi Arabia. And it was, Akko was connected off the Haifa line. And this was a tremendous thing. Now Akko could really, really stand out and start to really become uh, just not a... It's weird because Akko was never a blip on the map, but it always was treated as just a port and not a cultural center. Um, and I think that the establishment of the railway brought more prestige to the city uh because the ottomans never really put that much into it they were never really that 
that whole area south of, of of Lebanon, they never really put that much into it, that much importance into it. Um, but on September 23rd, 1918, Ottoman control of Akko ended when British forces captured the ancient port city during World War One. So now it was probably pretty important to the Ottoman Empire because they lost it. Um, but yeah, um, it's pretty crazy. Pretty, pretty crazy. Um, what an incredible, tumultuous, violent history um, that is wow. And I, I, I want to go back to talking about what I was talking about, about importance. And it, it is really weird how Akko went from being of the utmost importance to being just a eh place. And that's we're going to see that again with the state of Israel, um, where it is an important place, but there are places that overshadow it. Um, the last part of this in the history for this episode is the um, mandatory Palestine. So I said, after World War I, um, the Turks had allied themselves with the Germans um, and they lost the war. And in the Treaty of Versailles, uh, not the Treaty of Versailles, um, with the establishment of the League of Nations mandate for Palestine in 1920, the British main, uh, maintained Akko um, on through into 1948. So after uh, World War One, mandates were established, and these mandates were established with the intention of the indigenous people of the region to self-determine and to make countries of their own. And one of those places was mandatory Palestine. Um, and it was given to under given as conservator under conservatorship to Great Britain. Now, according to a 1922 census of Palestine conducted by the British, Akko had 6,420 residents. 4,833 of these were Muslims, 1,344 were Christians, 102 were Baha'i, 78 of them were Jews, and 13 were Druze. By 1931, the census counted 7,897 people, so that is an increase of about 1,500, um, with 6,076 Muslims, 1,523 Christians, 237 Jews, and 53 Baha'i, and 10 Druze. Now, that's an increase, uh, that's uh, about... 150% increase in Jews moving to Akko or being in Akko. Um, by 1945, Akko's population had again grown and now had 12,360 residents with 9,890 Muslims, 2,330 Christians, and 90 classified as other with the Jewish population dropping to 50. Now, I'm going to explain why this happened. Um, there was a lot of tumultuous stuff going on 
between the Arabs and the Jews in the region. Um, during the, but before I get to that, um, during the mandate, the British converted Akko's fort into a jail. This jail became home to several members of the Jewish underground who fought against the British mandate's forces. Among those incarcerated there were Zeev Jabotinsky, um, Shlomo Ben Yosef, and Dov Gruner. The prison was also the location where the British executed both Shlomo Ben Yosef and Dov Gruner. Eventually, all of the 27 Irgun and Lehi prisoners, as well as over 200 inmates, were freed. And this happened on May 4th, 1947, when the Irgun staged the Akko prison break. Um, so, yeah, there was a lot going on. The British were not very nice and they weren't doing anything to keep um different disparate groups from blowing each other to kingdom come um and this resulted in the jewish underground designating the british as an enemy and fighting against them um at the same time there was an arab underground that was doing the exact same thing. Um, in 1947, the United Nations then outlined their partition plan for Palestine, and in it, Akko was originally to be designated as part of a future Arab state. This period of time prior to 1948's Declaration of Independence by the new Jewish state um, was a mess and it was incredibly violent and saw groups from Akko's Arab community attacking neighboring Jewish settlements and Jewish transportation services. The most horrific of these being a massacre that occurred in March 1948 when 42 Jews were killed during an attack on a convoy north of Akko. And in another attack, also in March, um, four Jewish electrical electricity company employees and their security force of five British soldiers um, were attacked while traveling out to uh, repair damaged power lines. So this is where I'm going to end it for our next story, which it starts with the independence of the Jewish state, the establishment of the state of Israel. And I'll tell you that quick story and then about the modern city of Akko. But yeah, there you go. That is the city of Akko. Um, I hope it was fun. I know it was long, but there is so much history about the, uh, the city of Akko. And it is such a fascinating, fabulous place that has seen its ups and downs throughout the centuries, uh, the millennia. So, uh, yeah, um, so I hope you liked it and stay tuned for the part two. Um, all right, that's it. Hey, if you like this video, hit the like buddy, uh, hit the like buddy. Hey buddy, hit the like button and the subscribe button and uh, the notification bell so you get all the brand new episodes as they come out. Um, if you'd like to take us with you, you can find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, and on Spotify. Also, um, as I said in the beginning, this episode uh, is sponsored by the 12 cities in Israel, Hebrew, modern Hebrew flashcards. Um, we have them on Amazon 
for Kindle. Right now, the first set's available. It is the Olive Bet in both print and script. It's all in one. It's $9.95. Um, if you have Kindle Unlimited, it's free. Um, our next one's coming out in the next couple of weeks, and that is Numbers in Hebrew, and that's going to be really awesome. It's got a lot of, it's got all the numbers. It's got ordinal numbers, first, second, third. It's got cardinal numbers, um, and it's going to give you a little bit of an idea on how to generate numbers by Vrit in Hebrew, and uh, it's it's going to be a lot of fun. I hope you in, uh, <clears throat> I hope you enjoy it, if you get it. And I encourage you to get it. So, all right, that's it. Todo va. Te Yala bye. Shatila Perah Anisha 